Amen. There is no one like our God. And before we open the word together this morning, I just want to pray for us, pray for myself as we go forward. Heavenly Father, thank you for the words that we were just able to sing with conviction. That there is no one like you, no one besides you. No one matches you in might, in strength, in wisdom, and in power, and in goodness, and in love. Lord, help us to see your glory here this morning. May my words be clear and clearly from Scripture, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. What is the difference, everyone? What's the difference between a faith that sticks and a faith that goes away? Right? There are some people that you will meet who are believers who through thick and thin, through up and down, they have this strong faith. And, and we're like, wow, what a faith. But then there are others who, you know, they've, they read the Bible for a while or, you know, they prayed or they had a faith maybe as a younger person and they turned away from God and they recant their faith. They say, you know, that's just not me anymore. I'm putting that in the past. Wow, I'm sure you've heard a story like that. Or maybe, maybe you are someone who's living that story. You know, you used to believe, you used to have faith, but then, you know, you don't anymore for whatever reason. We've all heard stories like this, of course. In fact, when I was, when I was younger, I had a friend who was, he was a year older than me. I looked up to him, and he was a believer. I was, wow, he's like, he was a real inspiration for me. But later on in life, when we got into our 20s, he discovered, I suppose, he decided and discovered that the only reason he believed was because he was conditioned to believe by his parents. It wasn't his own faith, and so he recanted the faith. He said, that's not me anymore, and I'm putting that faith away. You've heard stories like this. and You hear something like this all the time. I used to believe, but then I realized all of the evil and suffering in the world, I don't believe anymore. I used to believe, but the person who baptized me, you know, they, that person left his wife and kids. Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. I want no part of that. Or I used to believe and I began to realize that God wasn't answering my prayers. And I'm done. You've heard stories like this, I'm sure. What is the difference between a faith that sticks and a faith that falls away? It's true that many people who believe they have faith have a very susceptible faith. Why? Because they had placed their faith ultimately in the wrong things. They thought that they had their uh, faith on the mark. They thought that they were believing in things that were godly. They thought they were believing things in things that were biblical. But their faith was just off the mark. And they believed in things that God did not ultimately promise to them. Their faith was misplaced. It was an inaccurate faith. This morning, I'm hoping to sharpen our faith accuracy. Where should we place our faith? We are going to look at increasing our faith through subtraction. What ought we not put our full faith in? Because God never promised those things. And what should we put our faith in so that our faith is not susceptible to any kind of attack? We are continuing the series called Encounter Christ, where we're looking through the New Testament and we're seeing encounters that Jesus had with people, and as he taught them, their lives would change. But Jesus isn't done doing that. 
He still does that even today. And I'm hoping today is another invitation for each of us to encounter Christ afresh. And today we're going to talk about faith accuracy. Would you open up your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. It's on the screen as well. Some of us like to hold the paper Bible. Others of you have an app. You can download a, some great free Holy Bible apps so that you can read that way. Or there's a uh, Bible in the pew in front of you that you could also open to. Now, as I read this story, it's not a very well-known story. In fact, as we read it, you might find Jesus doing some very surprising things. And my question to you as we go into this, and as I'm about to read this entire passage, what is the teaching here? What is it that we're supposed to be paying attention to? Let me read this. Verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. What is it about this passage? What are we supposed to be paying attention to? And it's this. It, there's a hint. It's, it's highlighted here. This woman has great faith. This woman has a faith that Christ himself commends. And so what we are going to do is see why this woman had such a strong faith, a faith that even Jesus commends. And I'm going to show you that it was an accurate faith, a faith that is placed squarely on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing that we're going to learn from this passage that will sharpen our faith accuracy. Don't have faith in your prosperity. Have faith in God's sovereignty. Or in other words, God's control over all things. Don't have faith in your prosperity. Have faith in God's sovereignty. There will be people who leave the faith because they trusted in God for their ease and their comfort and their plenty. They thought that believing in God meant that they would get all of the desires of their heart. But then they realized as they continue to follow God and as they continue to follow in faith, that that doesn't happen. All of the desires of their heart do not come true. In fact, there are some things that get even worse and they fall away from the faith. But it was an inaccurate faith. Take a look at what happens to this woman. It's in verse 22. It says, a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, came to Jesus crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. This is a parent's worst nightmare. The child is suffering terribly. And we know from other places of Scripture that demon possession could mean all sorts of terrible things. Pain, mania, even self-harm. 
some pretty awful things. It's no joke, no joke. And that is what is, this woman is experiencing. But look at how she, repl- how she speaks to Jesus. It says this, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She persists in faith despite, despite the suffering that's going on in her life and in her daughter's life. If the substance of this woman's faith was such that she was believing in Jesus for her ease, her comfort, and her prosperity, if she had a faith that said, Jesus, I'm following after you because I want the nice house, the nice car, and I want everything to go well for me. I want the promotion. I want the health. I want the long life. That's why I'm believing. If that was the substance of her faith, her faith would stand no chance. Why? Because of her daughter. Her daughter is proof that God did not fulfill his promise. But that would be an inaccurate, inaccurate faith. Because God does not promise us ease and comfort and prosperity. Sure, he gives that to us. And in fact, in North America, we get this plentifully. We don't even realize it, but we get this plentifully. However, that is not a guarantee. That is not a promise from God. In fact, we as a church body, we as believers in this church, are meant to, get this, carry one another's burdens. That means at least that it's guaranteed that we are going to have burdens that need bearing, right? Guaranteed. We are not going to have necessarily a life that is completely filled with the wishes of our hearts. Now, if you've been a believer for a while, you likely already understand that. But let me show you how sometimes that kind of thinking seeps into our thinking. Have you heard a story like this? Uh, I, I, I have. In fact, I've personally experienced something like this story, and I'm sure many of you have. And it's a good story, and it's something like this. You know, you get into a car wreck, let's say, and it's going to cost $8,000 for you to fix your car. You don't have the money. There's no way you are fixing this car. It is now the mechanic's car. It is not your car anymore. You can't afford it. But then you pray about it, and then later on you check your mailbox, and some unforeseen income comes in. And guess what? It's $8,000, the exact number that you need. Who, who's heard of a story like that or has lived through a story like that? Yeah, yeah, God does this. He's pleased to do this. However, if these are the only moments where we decide we are going to praise God, if these are the only moments where we say God is good, this is what we're saying to ourselves, this is what we're saying to other people, and this is what we're saying to God. Here's what we're saying. God, I'll keep on believing so long as you keep on blessing. You keep on blessing me, I'll keep praising you. You keep making things go well for me, I'll keep going for you. But that would be an inaccurate faith. An accurate faith is one that trusts in God's sovereignty. No matter what happens, whether he makes me richer or much, much poorer, whether I'm healthy or I'm sick, Whatever happens, I know that God is in control and that God is good. And so that whatever happens, I trust him. I don't trust in my personal prosperity. I want to trust in God's supreme sovereignty. That is an accurate faith. Okay, let's move on. Here's the second way. The second way that we can sharpen our faith accuracy. Don't place your total trust in Christians. Place your total faith in Christians. 
Christ. There are people who are going to leave the faith because they see how other Christians act and they see they don't want to be part of that because they seem to be a bunch of hypocrites. Or there's someone in the church that has wronged you personally. And that happens. That happens. Take a look at what happens to this woman in this story. Take, take a look. This, this is, seems uncharacteristic of the disciples, but this is what happens. She calls, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. I'm going to get to that. I'm not skirting over that. I recognize that that's there. We will get to that. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. The disciples go to Jesus and say, Jesus, get this wailing woman away. Get this person, this inconvenient person out of here. Now, you might seem, that might seem funny or unrealistic, but you know what? It's deeply unfortunate and we deeply regret it. But this can happen in the church. Can you imagine if you came to a church, even this church, with a deep hurt, with a real need, and you're turned away? That does happen. Now, not on purpose most of the time, but it can happen. And, and the hurt is deep because these are supposed to be the believers. And this is usually, usually the, the point in the sermon where I come up with a personal illustration of, you know, some time that someone in the church has hurt me, but as one, it's not appropriate. And two, I don't think I need to. Because if you've been in the church for a long enough time, you've either seen this hurt happen or you've experienced it yourself. Or you, or you did it. Thank you. Yes. And it hurts. And it hurts all the more deeply because a believer did it. But here's the problem. If we place our faith on shoulders that cannot possibly bear the weight, Christians, and not Christ himself, then our faith is doomed from the start. Why? Why? Because when we went to Christ, we recognized that we needed forgiveness, right? That's why we're believers. We know that we are fallen away from God. We know that we are sinners. We know that we can't get to God. We can't have heaven. We can't be in his presence without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We all know that. We are broken. We're works in progress. Each one of us Christians are. And so we need to understand, we need to recognize that every single other person is in the same boat. They're liable to make mistakes, liable to mess up. And if we place our faith in, and trust in Christians and not Christ himself, we are placing our faith on shoulders that cannot possibly bear the weight. Should we trust our Christian leaders and pastors and, 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 and people like that? Yes. Yes, we should. But not insofar as if their faith fails or if they wrong you, your faith goes down with it. We need to trust and put our trust squarely on Christ. And by the way, I do not at all intend or mean to gloss over the significant hurts that you might have experienced in a church. Don't mean to do that at all. Not at all. 
but those hurts cannot appear and loom so large that Christ appears small. We all need a savior, each and every one of us, and that, that faith must be placed on Christ's shoulders, not his followers. That's a way to sharpen our faith accuracy. Here's the third way. Take a look at what happens next. We are going to see that we cannot trust in our personal plans. We need to trust in God's promises. Because believers will find themselves having certain plans that go before them, and they expect life to go a certain way, but then they discover that that's not God's plan. Now, I'm not talking about self-serving plans either. Have you ever prayed something like this? I'm sure you have. If you're a believer, you've prayed something like this. God, would you save this person? God, would you end this tragedy? God, would you heal this person, right? We, we pray these things. And we think there's no possible reason why, as far as I can tell, there's no possible reason why God would say no to this request. Why would God say no? This is a noble prayer. That it's not, you know, I'm not trying to be selfish here. But yet, God doesn't seem to answer that noble prayer in the way that you expect. And some people will fall away from the faith based on that. Take a look at what happens to this woman. She has a noble prayer. Take a look at what it says back in uh, verse 22. She's, she says, hey, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My, my, my daughter is demon-possessed. Heal my daughter. Could there be a more noble prayer? Heal my daughter. And at first, Jesus doesn't answer. Jesus doesn't say a word. And the disciples talk. And then in verse 24, Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now what does that mean? Well, at this time in Jesus' ministry, his ministry was directed towards the people, the sheep, of Israel, the Jews. The plan was to evangelize the Jewish people, to mobilize them so that eventually when Jesus dies, buries, and rises again, and he's no longer earthly with them, they would go out and share the gospel with the world. That was the plan. The ministry was for the Jewish people, and that's what he says. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me. The prayer continues. She audaciously continues this prayer. Help me. And she does not get the answer to prayer that she expects. Verse 26, he replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, you probably think that's very, very offensive. But let me give you some context for that illustration. What Jesus is bringing to mind is, your kitchen table. When you make a meal, that meal is intended for the children. And it would not be right for you to take that meal and give it to the dogs first. It needs to go to the children. That, he's basically saying the same thing he said in verse 24, that his mission was for the Jews first. Now, recognizing that eventually Jesus does heal the daughter, why does Jesus answer her request in this way? Why? You know, why, why, would, why would he do this? And the answer to that question is one that 
this woman could not have possibly known at the time. But the, the answer to her prayer is much greater than she could have possibly imagined. Here's why. Jesus, right now, is doing this wonderful thing. He's drawing out the substance of this woman's faith. Why is he doing that? Because he knows the disciples are in the vicinity and they need to see that not just the Jewish people are coming to faith in Christ, but also people outside of the Jewish community like this Canaanite woman. Why does he do that? Because he knows that in the future, these very disciples will be the ones who are writing down scripture so that we have these Bibles. Why would he do that? So thousands of years in the future, millions of believers would see what it looks like to have a commendable faith before God. He answered her prayer not in the way that, he, that she expected, but in a way that was far greater than she could have ever imagined. And here's the reality. That's true of every single one of our prayers. While we're praying them and how God answers them, we don't fully understand why he answers them in the way that he does. But he's promised us that he is in control of all things. We know that he is good. And he works out all things for the good of those who love him, for God's glory, and for our good. So no matter what we've prayed, we know that God answers those prayers perfectly. Every time. Every time. It may but not be what it looks like according to our own plan. But we need to replace our expectation of God fulfilling our plan and replace it exactly with God's own promises. That's what he's promised. Not our own plans. That's of accurate faith. One that trusts in God's promises, not our own personal plans. Here's the final way to sharpen our faith accuracy. And this one's my favorite, so here we go. This is what happens next. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She says in verse 27, yes it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. I want us to go back a sec and remember that this woman was described as a Canaanite woman. Why describe her that way? Why not just say it's a woman? Well, the reason why you call her a Canaanite woman is because the original audience of this passage would understand the Canaanites to be an immoral people. They would understand them to be kind of like the people in the Old Testament. The Canaanites in the Old Testament were people who, you know, sacrificed children, who did all manner of evil, and as a nation were always at odds with Israel. So when the Jewish people read this passage, they would think, this Canaanite woman is disqualified from God's grace. That's what they'd think. they think, this person is not appropriate for God's mercy. She's a Canaanite outside of the Jewish community. And the Jews, on the other hand, thought that they were qualified for God's mercy and ministry because, well, they were born into the Jewish family. It was their heritage. They believed that they were saved based on their upbringing and also based on their acts of service. 
on the sacrificial system, which you can read about in the Old Testament. They did all the works. They followed the law. They sacrificed the animals. They did all of the things that they thought they needed to do in order to earn their right standing before God. But we need to understand in here that we don't trust in ourselves. We need to trust in God's overflowing grace. We don't trust in ourselves. We don't trust in our upbringing. We don't trust in our works. We don't trust in our own doings and deeds. We trust precisely in God and his grace and his love. I'm going to reread that, the passage that I, that, I, that I had read. Take a look at what it says in verse 24. 25 even. It says this. The woman uh, came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. She, re- she repeats that request. Verse 26, he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He says, my ministry is meant for the Jews, and you're not one of those. So in other words, he is in essence asking, what makes you think you are worthy of my ministry? What makes you think you are worthy of my healing? What makes you think you are worthy? It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Verse 27. Look at how she replies. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You see what she's saying? She's not asking for God's grace because she counts herself worthy to receive it. She doesn't ask for God's grace because she thinks she's worthy. She doesn't ask for God's grace because she knows she was born the right way or has done the right things. She's not asking for his grace for anything that she herself has done. She is asking for God's grace because she knows that even the leftovers of the love of God are sufficient for her. She knows that God is so good and loving and that her Savior is so sweet that even the leftovers, even the crumbs of the bread of God's mercy are sufficient for her. And it's because of that kind of faith that Jesus turns to her and says, you have great faith. Her faith did not reside in herself, her works, her doings, her deeds. Her faith was squarely on Christ. This is not a problem for just back then, by the way. There are people today in the church who believe that they are saved based on something other than Christ. There are people who think that since they partook in a, in a sacrament or did some ritual last week, that they are saved this week. There are people who think that since they were born in the right family, they are saved. There are people who think even now that the fact that they're at church this Sunday is evidence that they are true believers. But it's not the case. Because salvation has nothing to do with our deeds, has nothing to do with who we are. It has everything to do with who Christ is. And so we place our faith squarely, squarely on the shoulders of Christ. Not on me. I'll mess it up. The only one who can bear the weight of my faith is Christ. Here's the final slide and it's the final thing I'll leave you with. If we place our faith in Christ alone, he will never let us down. Your circumstances, they'll let you down. 
The Christians around you, eventually they're going to let you down. Your own plans for your life and the lives of those around you, those are going to let you down. And you know what? Even yourself, even your own self will let you down. That's why we don't place our full trust in any of those things. We have an accurate faith, a faith that is placed squarely on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. That's the faith. That's the faith that we want. This story is actually a story of two miracles. The first miracle is the most obvious one. The woman's daughter is healed. Jesus miraculously expels this demon. But there's another miracle. And that's the miracle of this woman's faith. And that's the miracle I'm hoping each of you ask God for this morning. God, give me the kind of faith. Give me the kind of faith that is squarely upon the shoulders of your son who went to the cross and died my death in order to forgive me of my sins so that I can have eternal life with you forever. That's the kind of faith that we ask for. Not one that is placed on our circumstances, on ourselves, on prosperity, or on other believers, but one that is placed precisely on Christ. Would you, Lord, would you, Lord, give me an accurate faith? You know, some people ask for a deeper faith. They want a deeper faith. I think what they really are after is a more accurate faith, one that is squarely on the shoulders of Jesus and nowhere else. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, if we are relying on our own strength to conjure up this faith, it will fail. If we are relying on our own strength and abilities to, uh, to fulfill every single law that we're meant to live by, we'll fail that too. And so God, we plead, just like this Canaanite woman, we plead, we plead to you, would you give me this faith? Would you give us this faith? A faith that is put squarely on your shoulders because we know only you, only you can bear the weight. Lord, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that we have a hope of eternal life as we believe and follow you. In Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen.